Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. And today I am joined by Leah Negri with Platinum National Title. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. We are going to be talking about title insurance and the importance of reading a title commitment when you are in the process of purchasing a contract. Um, I think it's safe to say that a number of people don't even fully read the contract when they are purchasing a property, Um, but it's definitely important to do that or have a good understanding of what you're signing because it is a legal document, but also important to know what is in a title commitment. So um, before we jump into all of that, can you first um, tell me how you got into title, the title business? Sure, sure. For you. It is, it is. So I have been doing title work um, since, 2001, so 21 years, um, I got in this industry because my mom, who went back to work when I was like in fifth grade, um, decided she was in banking, decided uh, starting a whole new career, and she started working at a title company. I had no clue what she did all through middle school, high school, um, and it really wasn't until uh, she started working for a local uh, company here in Pinellas that um, she needed a receptionist. And I was like, went to college, didn't love it. And yet I saw that my mom had made a wonderful career out of being in this industry. And she really encouraged me to start. So I started at the bottom and started as a receptionist. And then from there, I think about a year or two later, I became a processor. And about a year later, I became a closer and um, just kind of worked my way through with the company that she was at. And then 2000 and eight came around, you know, that wonderful time of the market. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, um, I was employable and I still had a job and just made a transfer to become a manager of another local title company and was there for about four and a half years um, until I was recruited to market for a title company in Hillsborough County. And then um, my mom had kind of been with me through the whole time. So when I transitioned to become a manager of a title company, she kind of quit where she was at and kind of did some freelance work. I know that sounds crazy in the title world, but she had a huge book of business and just kind of funneled her business through the company that I was at and um, kind of did that at the next place that I went to as a marketer. And then we just were like, okay, it's time. We've thought about it in the past. Um, My mom has probably, so fifth grade, 30 plus years she's been in title. I can't calculate that right now off the top of my head. Um, we just decided it's time to start doing what we want to do in a manner in which we would love to be able to provide um, a great title experience. And so in 2013, we created Platinum National Title. Uh, we just celebrated our nine-year anniversary. We are blessed to have not three offices. We have, I think, 14 employees right now. Um, and it's just been a wonderful experience and we really do love, love what we do. And so that's just a little bit about Platinum National Title. That's incredible. So what would you say differentiates you from other title companies? That's a great question. We, I get this a lot because 
there's a title company literally on every corner of the street. Um, and I think a lot of people would say like communication is really the only thing that can differ. You know, pricing is pretty much across the board the same. Um, but you really have to, when you say that communication is different, you actually have to follow it up. So we are, you know, we do implore our employees to respond in a timely manner. If you call, if you text, if you email, um, you know, we, we, if they're not responding to you, come, come to me, come tell me, because that is so important. Um, I've heard horror stories where agents or clients have reached out to title companies and don't hear back for days upon days, or maybe they don't hear from the title company until like two days before closing. And you're like, oh, look, I'm buying a house or selling a house. Um, we do have a ton of things in place um, to make sure that you are updated throughout the process. We send, you know, a welcome email when you first submit a contract. We um, send out an email to the buyer and the seller, just introducing yourself, taking the phone. You're going to be getting an email from us. This is how we're going to process your file. We have questions, concerns. As soon as the title commitment is in and ready to be sent, we send the title commitment. We email out a copy of the municipal lien search. We email a copy of the estoppel letter. If you're part of an HOA, as soon as that survey comes in, it gets sent out. We want to make sure that everybody has every item. And I would say those are your top four items, title, commitment, municipal lien search, estoppel letter, and survey are things that are so important um, to have at your fingertips so that you are aware of what's going on. I've gotten phone calls after closings where people didn't realize how much their HOA dues are. And it's like, we sent you that paperwork. It was on your closing statement. What do you mean that you didn't realize it's $300 a month? Yeah. Um, it happens. Um, so I think the more information, I know it's overwhelming. You're some, if you're dealing with a lender, you're dealing with probably 20 different people, it seems like throughout the whole process. It's super overwhelming. Um, but we want to make sure that at the end of the day, when you come to closing and you walk away from our closing table, it's a wonderful experience because you could have had turmoil. You could have had a nightmare of a time, maybe for the appraisal. Who knows? Things can happen. The seller doesn't move out on time. I don't know. But when you come to our table, we want you to be able to walk away and remember who we are because you've partnered with a great title company and uh, your agent, you know, has walked you through and is like suggested use platinum because we know that we want you to be able to walk away from the table and remember my name as well. We're the last defense, if that makes sense. So we're the last people your buyer or seller is going to see. And we want that experience to help the agent to maintain that relationship in the future. Because um, most likely, if they had a really bad experience at the closing table, and you as the agent helped them decide to choose a title company, um, they're going to remember that bad closing experience more than they're going to remember every single hoop email phone call midnight you know helping them get to the closing table they're just going to remember that bad title experience so we would really want to be able to give you world-class service um so that when you do walk away um from that closing transaction you remember you don't remember maybe all the heartache to get to that mm -hmm. table but you remember you signed your paperwork it was a great experience you got your keys or you walked away with your money and it was like oh, a breath of fresh air and not more frustration. So I think that's what we're trying to do here at Platinum um, to make sure that you do have world-class service and that you walk away with a wonderful experience. Yeah, it's definitely important. And um, even though we're not going to be talking about it today, I know wire fraud is rampant mm. 
when yes. people are wiring money and it's always, I, I try to remind my clients every time, do not, if you get a message that claims to be from me, from the title company, mm -hmm. always call first. I give them a transaction checklist when their contract is awesome. executed with the phone number and the name of the person at the title company that they should speak to. And I say, don't call the number on the correspondence, call it from this transaction right. checklist. That's so critical. It's so critical because again, we want to be, we are that first line of defense, you and us as the title company to, to give them the education they need to make sure if anybody's ever telling you that you must send your money now because it's urgent, it, mm -hmm. it's never, it's never urgent. Just right. believe me, it's not. Uh, <laughs> we have people who come to closing first. And then they go and do their wire because they're just, they're a little skittish and it's okay. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just okay to be cautious. So okay to question every single thing when it comes to money. We tell people all the time, if it doesn't smell right, doesn't make you feel right. It's okay to say, I'm, I'm just going to be double cautious. Yeah. Um, I definitely implore people to just be double, triple cautious because it, it's until it, until it hits the title company's bank account, it, it it's your it's your money and you're responsible to make sure it gets to that destination. Once it hits my account, now I'm responsible for it to make sure it goes on to the next destination. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. So with that said, can you talk a little bit about what title insurance is in general before sure. we get to the commitment? Sure. So title insurance is, um, just like any other type of insurance, I always tell a seller when or a buyer when they walk away and we provide them with a copy of their owner's title insurance policy. Um, I say it's just like any other insurance. If you don't have it and you don't store it and you don't keep a copy of it, it doesn't exist, right? As a, as title companies here in the state of Florida, we are required by law to hold all of our documentation for seven years. Of course, we scan everything, we keep everything, but ultimately seven years is our threshold. Um, so when you don't have that title insurance and an issue arises when you try to sell, you have no coverage to protect you from that issue. So title insurance is uh, the issuance of coverage from the date of the recording of your deed. So when you purchase the property, the deed gets recorded backwards. So the insurance is covering you for any liens, encumbrances, um, ownership, issues, things like that from the date that you take ownership and the deed is recorded in the public records backwards. Um, and so that's what happens and gives you coverage. We've seen um, it, it can help cover, like if somebody forgets to record a death certificate um, from somebody like who was 12 owners ago, the title insurance covers over that and says, hey, we've done enough diligence, due diligence over the years, title insurance has been covered. If an actual heir or somebody arises and tries to file a claim, you'll have coverage for that issue. Um, so the biggest thing is just, you're, you're getting that peace of mind um, with that policy that if something were to arise, our biggest goal obviously as title insurance uh, providers is to never have you file a claim. Ugh, like that's not cool. Um, <laughs> that's our number one goal is like, we don't want claims. We want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and doing it right. But you also have that layer of protection by having the title insurance policy. Um, so again, it gives you the coverage from the date of the recording of your deed backwards for any issues. And I always remind the buyer, anything that happens to you after um, against yourself or other things um, that that coverage is only from recording backwards, never forwards. 
So mm-hmm. I always tell people to be really good people and don't get IRS liens. <laughs> well, so I actually had a customer that did have to file a claim and okay. it wound up not being covered because it was a fluke situation. And of course she doesn't find out until she's ready to sell her home that in the title commitment, it showed a home equity line of credit from the previous owners that didn't get recorded until after her mortgage was recorded. So they, they opened it, you know, days before the, the, her closing when she bought it. Oh my gosh. But it took like a month to record. And so her title policy didn't cover it. Right. Even though it was against the previous owner. Correct. You're right. It doesn't recorded afterwards. And we were, you know, playing out a a lot of different scenarios, trying to find the former sellers and see if they would sign an affidavit saying that either the HELOC was closed or they had a zero balance because the value was a third of the home, you know, so the the home was like $200,000 and it was $40,000. And she just happened to mention offhand, well, why wasn't this caught when I refi? And so then I said, oh, well, you should have a title policy from your refinance or to talk to the lender that you did the refinance to see, you know, if there's some way, where did, what title company did you refinance through? Mm which she wound up going to, and they wound up giving her an endorsement over that HELOC. Well, good. That's awesome. But that took four months to work out. Yeah. That's the hard part. It's the hard part. I'm like, yeah. So (laughs) it can happen. And that's, and that's the thing. But the best thing is that if it, if it is something um, before the recording of your deed, you know, that, that is the beautiful thing about the title insurance. You really don't have to deal with it because you can either get indemnification from the previous title company um, so that you have something on file that says, if something were to truly arise from this, the previous policy is now required, still has that value is required to uh, cover that issue. Mm-hmm. And the policy really doesn't die per se, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm going to share my screen and show um, the as-is contract. And are you able to see that where it says title yes. and insurance? So yep. on, on the as-is contract and on the standard contract, title evidence and insurance is addressed in paragraph nine. And basically it outlines the person that designates the closing agent then pays for certain title services, which is a great negotiation tool, especially over the last couple of years when people were negotiating everything from, you know, their firstborn to (laughs) lots of things to just to try to get maybe their kitty cat, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That um, choosing the closing agent and, and incurring those additional costs, you know, netted the seller more. Although it, it's Correct. interesting that here in Pinellas County, what I found to be typical is that most of the time the seller pays for the title and 
you know, just if you go over the Skyway Bridge in the Manatee County, it's very different. Oftentimes it's the buyer that is the one that's choosing that. So I think it's yeah. interesting that in such a short geographical area, practices can be so different. Yes, you're correct. Um, so now I'm going to share um, the, you've been so kind to share with me a copy of um, the- Just Like a generic title insurance commitment. Yes, so that we can go through and outline what, um, let's see if I get to, what a title commitment looks like. Are you able to see the commitment? Yes. Okay. Yep. Perfect. So um, there are, how many title insurance companies are there that insure, um, provide title insurance? A lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll give you the top five that you would mostly hear. So you have, um, which this one here, this is one of our underwriters. We have Westport Land Title Insurance. That's one of our underwriters. We also underwrite with Old Republic Land Title Insurance. So those are the two underwriters that we are agents on behalf of those insurance providers. Okay. You also have Fidelity National Title, which has an um, myriad of umbrella. It's a it's a main company, and then there's several like there's Commonwealth, there's Chicago Title, there's some little little smaller uh, underwriters within the Fidelity brand. You have First American Title as a national underwriter. You have Stewart Title as a national underwriter. Um, AIG, no, not AIG. There's a couple other ones. Those are the top five that I've always written on at different companies that I've worked for. Are there really those top five? Okay. But there's, there's many more. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so, there's some that don't insure in Florida, but insure in other states and things like that. So those are the really the top five that I've seen. I've only worked in the state of Florida, so I've, I've never insured in another state. And that's one thing important to point out is, especially for people who have purchased properties in other states, every state has their own procedures. And again, correct. Then within a geographical region, you may have variances within the region on how things are, are um, managed. Yes. So, um, so this is West Core, an example of the commitment. And so obviously there is a lot of language to read through. Um, you've got definitions here that talk about um, the different definitions that are mentioned throughout the commitment. And this document here is what I see most of the time when the commitment is sent out. So Correct. it has an effective date and that then is, is that when the policy becomes effective or? So that's when the commitment is effective. So what the effective date is, is we, so as the agent here, we uh, perform and we order a title search. So we have, of course, have to do a search of the public records to see what is happening, what liens and who's the owner uh, or who are the owners. Sometimes they come across multiple owners that you don't realize are still on title. Um, but we find out who the owners of the property and what liens and encumbrances are against it. And then what exceptions to the policy that aren't going to be covered 
by the policy. And so the effective date is the date in which our title search comes back and says, as of this date, the public records are updated good through on this one example is June 29th, 2022 at 8 a.m. So this is a Pinellas County, um, I think was a Pinellas County search um, that we did, but Pinellas, Pasco, Hillsborough, all the different counties have different effective dates depending on how far behind <laughs> they are on uh, recording. So depending on during COVID, it was a quite a longer time frame of our effective date, um, which kind of is a little, for us as a title insurance company here in Florida, we are gap coverage state. So we cover the gap between the recording of the deed backwards. So our commitment here, we want our, our effective date on our commitment and the recording date on our deeds to be very small, but we can only go off of what the county, how the county is, if they're up to date or not. Sometimes they're three weeks out, sometimes they're two days out. It just really depends on how up to date the county is. So the effective date is the date in which the public records have been searched and the commitment has been issued, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll get um, my search back and it's so let's say I got this out on July 12th and the effective date is June 29th. Well, that's two weeks. Well, that's because that's where the county's at. We are not of up to date because the county can only work so fast and then it can only get published so fast online. Um, not every state does this. If you go up north to um, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, like th they literally still have to go to the courthouse, sit there, update, and this is why it takes forever to fund in those states, is <laughs> because they literally, like the moment like there's nothing outstanding is when they record and then they can fund. It's quite a different process. Um, but the nice thing here in Florida is we do have that gap coverage in which um, is helpful for us to be able to be an escrow funding state and to fund and disperse on the day of closing. Um, so the effective date is very important. We always keep that updated throughout the process, um, especially with a lender. A lender will not allow you to close if the effective date is uh, older than 30 days because they want to make sure that they're staying in first lien position, that nothing new has arisen um, through from the time the commitment was issued. You know, because you could have a closing for 45 days or 60 days. You're going to want to make sure that gap is as short of a period of time as possible. Um, well, so the effect that that's what the effective date is for. Yeah, I mean, like the example that I gave had that HELOC been recorded just before closing, then that could have been potentially caught if the um, effective date was updated. Possibly, but again, there's still that gap. Um, so if they, let's say they, I'm just going to throw out crazy dates here, but let's say they closed on the 29th of the month and the, the mortgage was recorded on the 27th, but the public records were only good through the 20th, they would have mm -hmm. never seen it because yeah. you, you're, you're now at the 29th date, you can look online, um, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's, up to, it's up to date because the county could be behind by 10 business days. Mm. So that, that's, that's, that's the blessing and the curse that we have here issuing title insurance here in Florida. So, yeah. and, and that's why we want to cover that gap period as close as possible. Right. So we, we have the effective date and then you have the policy and the owner that it's um, issued to. 
And that should match the contract. Yes, that should match your purchaser. And then you have the amount of the property, the amount of the loan, and obviously the, the lender is also identified on this. And there's both an owner's policy and a lender's policy. Yes, and that is if you're getting a loan, then the two policies can be issued at the same time. Um, and it's just called a simultaneous rate issuance. So the owner's policy here in the state of Florida is our superior policy um, and during a purchase transaction. And then the loan policy then gets issued at the same time at that simultaneous rate. You don't have to pay full premium value on the loan amount as well, because that would be super expensive. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then it talks about the, the way the property is being conveyed in this example, fee simple, um, and that the title to the estate or interest in the land at the commitment date is vested in. Do you, um, here it, it says husband and wife, are there places where you may have um, tenants in the entirety or, or different ways that that is tight? Um, usually, yeah. So usually that'll come off exactly how the deed is recorded. So these people, the deed, they took title as Roger Smith and Regina Smith, husband and wife. It could be Roger Smith and Regina Jones as tenants uh, with joint, joint tenants with rights of survivorship. It could say tenants in common. It could say Roger Smith single and Regina Smith single. So it just really it just kind of pulls in exactly how the, the deed was recorded in the public records. And you always want that to be the person who's selling the house. Um, we just had a situation with a file that came back and um, there was an additional person on title um, to the property with this gentleman who was trying to sell and he um, realized that he was doing some estate planning and um, it turned out to be a hot mess express because it was his ex-girlfriend who he, mm. he didn't remember that he had added her to title and it was it was quite an experience. Um, and he got it all taken care of, but, um, yeah, he was like, what? Like, but it's super important. It does come back where people do things and they don't remember they've done estate planning or, um, it's the property could be owned for quite some time by a family. Um, I did a closing recently that the the property had been in the family since the 1920s, praise the Lord. There were no title issues. I was super shocked. Um, didn't even need a death certificate for anybody in the chain of title. Wow. Um, but you know, it can happen where, you know, a family owns a property for a very long time. And there's just things that, that are missing, um, that need to have, need to be recorded to show what has happened. This person has passed. This person no longer owns. This is why this was done. Um, but the, the biggest thing is when you get this back, you want it to only be the people who are selling the house. Is it possible for people who are about to put their home on the market to have a title search run before they do yes. that? Especially for like, if you inherit a home. Um, I always suggest a listing agent to do that for sure. Um, just you send a request to us and you know say, hey, we have this property listed. It's been inherited by some family members. They say probate's been done. Sometimes people think probate's been done and maybe nothing has started. I'm sure you may have experienced that in your past, Nicole. And so you just always, it's always good to know what 
uh, you're going to need. And, and it's not a hardship. I'd have one listing agent who does it for every single one of his listings. And he, it's just peace of mind for him to know that if I get an offer on a contract and they want to close in 10 business days, we can. I can have confidence knowing that my sellers are the one who owns the property. We're not going to have any major issues. Um, but as a title insurance company, we can't really start working on the title issues or working on a file until it's actively under contract. We can give you the information and there's things that you can do if you need to track down a death certificate or you need to track down something. There's definitely things that you can start doing um, ahead of time to just be prepared so that you can close in a timely manner. And I would highly recommend that if you purchase, I had a, a customer purchase a home in an auction and oh, yes. it had been foreclosed on and, and it wasn't until they went to sell that they realized that there was a lien attached that never got cleared when they bought it at auction. And, you know, that's a, a perfect example that a preliminary title search helps them and fortunately for them they were able to um, vacate the lien uh, the municipality said it was you know so old and they had brought the property up to standard that they were willing to um, not make them pay that but that that's really good those auction properties are definitely tricky um, you can always get an owner's and encumbrance report um, if you know that you want to bid on an auction property to see what you could be getting yourself into um, because when the, if the bank is not the one who's foreclosing on the property and purchasing it back, um, if you're the one who wins it at auction and you get it, you get all the problems that come, comes with it. There's no provision for the third party uh, to have any coverage for uh, things to be closed out. Um, I did have that happen to a gentleman who bought a property at auction and there was a mortgage still on it and he had to pay off the mortgage. It was like $70,000. And he was not a happy camper, but he, he, he bought it that okay. way and not didn't realize what he was doing. So, so if someone is looking to purchase a property at auction or maybe a, a tax lien that you said an owner's encumbrance, report? you can order an owner's encumbrance report. It's anywhere between $85 and a hundred dollars. Um, mm -hmm. and that owner and encumbrance report will tell you one who the owner is and then what encumbrances. So what liens are against the property. So if you were to buy a property at auction and the taxes haven't been paid, well, that's something you're going to have to pay off as the new owner it doesn't get foreclosed out. Um, if the previous owner had an IRS lien, that does not get foreclosed out. You're not the bank. You're not the one doing the foreclosing. Um, if there's an HOA lien, uh, that does not get foreclosed out. Those people still have lien rights. The bank is basically saying, all right, I sold mine, my mortgage goes away because you bought it at auction, but now you're inheriting all these other things because the bank's not the one who took ownership of the property. And that was a, um, there was a pretty infamous case here in the county where a gentleman bought a condo on the beach for what he thought was a great deal, but then came to find out that, I think the HOA had foreclosed on it, but um, even though he paid all this money that, he wasn't the rightful owner because of a superior mortgage. And, Correct. you know, it was, I think he was out half a million dollars. It was crazy. 
Um, it, do, it does happen. So always be leery when you're purchasing at auction from an HOA or a condo association. You must make sure there's not a superior mortgage because that HOA, what they can do is they can foreclose on that person to get them out. The HOA can then go in and rent that property out. They can make money from that property until the bank finally forecloses and takes over ownership of the property. So there's a lot an HOA can do, and that's why they do it. So they kind of get that tenant out because most likely if they're not paying, they're probably not maintaining their property well either. And I'm sure they're, especially in a nice, maybe nice community or condo community in the beach, like I'm sure that residents are like, yo, like, let's get this person out. They're not helping with the, um, you know, the benefit of um, our community. And so the HOA can then get them and then the HOA can recoup their money once, once right. they get foreclosed and once they foreclose on them and they sell it and they're selling it as is. And mm-hmm. so it has happened more often than you would think that don't, people don't realize <laughs> what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. So um, further down, it talks about the legal description. So again, I'm sure that that should match what the legal description is on the deed. It should match what's on the deed. It should match what's in the property appraiser's uh, website, tax collector, kind of should all be the same. So in the state of Florida, we ensure the legal description to the property. We do not ensure parcel ID numbers and we do not ensure property addresses. And the reason we don't ensure those two items I know several other states do that because we get requests from lenders all the time for endorsements for those things. Um, We don't do that because those can change. Um, Parcel ID numbers and property addresses can change. Legal description only changes if you end up subdividing land or doing something crazy like that. But a legal description is is what we are actually insuring um, because again, that parcel ID number um, can change and the uh, property address it has happened with many people where their address changes because another house gets built on the on the street and now everybody's address has to change. So um, it happens more often than you would think. And so that's why we are only insuring legally, like what you legally own, which is that legal description of that plot of land. Got it. And there is, I know, like on the property appraiser's site, you will often see a shortened version of this which is why I always go and pull the last deed that was recorded mm-hmm. and put the full legal description on the contract just to make Thank sure you. that it matches. <laughs> Not everybody does that. Thank you, Nicole. No. It's helpful. Yeah, you can tell because <laughs> if it doesn't have that last, you know, of the public records of Canales County, Florida, that they have not done that. Yeah. Yes. So then schedule B um, talks about requirements that must be met. Correct. So schedule B are the requirements. These are the things that we must do as the title insurance company to actually be able to issue title insurance. So the first section here just states that these are the documents, um, satisfactory to the company to convey, um, the title and or create a mortgage to be insured or both. Um, so there should always either be a warranty deed or a, a, a leasehold estate deed. That's if you're buying in a leasehold estate community um, that's going from the current owner of the property to the purchaser. So, of course, we have Roger and Regina Smith are selling to John Doe and Jane Doe. And those parties should be matching 
what is on page one. And then because they're getting a loan, we're going to be recording a mortgage from John Doe and Jane Doe to the proposed insured lender, which is the lender named on page one. And also it states, note spouse of individuals, if any, are to join in on the above required instruments or the documents must state that the caption property is not the homestead of the grantor or the mortgager. So super important in the state of Florida, which a lot of people don't realize or understand is that we are uh, have very strict homestead laws. So any property that is owned um, as your primary residence um, and you sell that property, let's say I'm, I'm own the property as a single woman. And at some point in time, I get married, but I never add my spouse to title. My spouse would have to still sign off on that warranty deed. Um, and then vice versa, if I'm a single woman or married woman purchasing a, a primary residence, but I'm the only one going on title, my spouse still must uh, sign the mortgage being placed on the property that they have spousal rights to. So primary residency, um, you know, kind of supersedes pretty much everything. I get people who are like, well, I have a prenup in place. Okay, well, that's for when you get divorced. That's not for when you purchase a property, things like that. So um, we, we do ask a lot of questions when it comes to marital status. We're not trying to be offensive in any way, shape or form when we ask these questions. But in order for us to actually provide proper insurance, we have to make sure all parties are signing off on the documents correctly. Um, so it's very important that... Um, we do that, especially primary residence only. If you're buying an investment property, commercial property, if you're buying it in the name of your LLC, um, you know, obviously spouses don't need to participate on that. However, there's a caveat. If you're buying a property in the name of your trust and it is your primary residence, if you are the only trustee, your spouse still has to acknowledge the mortgage being placed on the property because they do still have homestead rights as individuals on that property. Do common law, um, are there any common laws with relationships that come in? Not in Florida. Okay. I know there are in other states. So mm -hmm. that's good to know. Um, yep. And then, you know, there may be, I've seen certain liens that have to be paid off or. Correct. Um, so further goes down in the requirements here. Um, these are just standard requirements that we have to make sure that we charge for the correct fees and, and things like that. But on the next page, if you see, starting with number nine, um, it discuss like the specific things that need to be done. So this first one here, it's calling for a release and satisfaction executed by Mark Robertson and Christine Robertson. Well, that would be a red flag because they're not the buyer or the seller. Yeah. Um, so this is our number one title issue is when um, a previous owner's mortgage has not been released by the public records. And this um, was a specific first mortgage lien. And thankfully, uh, Robert and Regina Smith had a copy of their owner's title insurance policy. And we were able to waive that requirement and remove that requirement because that falls under the treaty of if something were to arise, let's say um, this lender started foreclosure proceedings, highly unlikely because Robert and Regina have owned this property for 10 years and nobody's ever come back, right? Um, but to track down the satisfaction is not required because they have the title insurance and the treaty between all of the underwriters indicates that, again, the policy would cover that matter if something were to actually arise. Um, now, the only caveat with uh, pre 
previous owner's mortgages is if that mortgage was an equity line of credit, because it's a revolving line of credit, it's not covered under the treaty. So we would have to either get that actually satisfied, or we would have to get an indemnification letter from the previous underwriter that says, hey, you're aware that this is an equity revolving line of credit. We need to close on this transaction. You issued title insurance, and therefore your policy needs to cover should this ever arise. Because it's a revolving line, is people, and this has happened before, don't realize that it's actually a recorded lien against the property that they owned. And so they could still be using it. They could still be borrowing against it, paying it off every month. And then if they stop, then the bank would start foreclosure proceedings. Um, but it should have been released when the Robertsons sold the property to the Smith family. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was the example that my customer <laughs> found herself in. So, yes. So it. this next one uh, requirement is just a requirement for Robert Smith and Regina Smith, the current owners, to pay off their existing mortgage. Thankfully, um, we you know they had a, a mortgage. We went ahead and ordered the payoff. We collected that at closing as a title insurance company. No problem. That requirement can be satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, I put an example on here of the next one. It's calling for a deed from Mark and Christine, the previous owners, mm -hmm. um, stating that that deed may de be defective in the fact that the legal description from the property was omitted, which mm -hmm. huge problem mm -hmm. um, in the fact that you kind of have to have a legal description to identify what you're selling. So the legal description, as we indicated, was on um, the second page, Schedule A, which was the Lot 1 Dunedin Hill sub subdivision. This is indicating that that was missing and therefore they didn't really transfer title properly. So it's calling for us to go back to that previous owner, track them down, have them find a, you know, sign a corrective deed, have it properly executed and then re-recorded. The amount of times I've had to do this is more than I'd like to say. Really? Now I do have, go ahead. I, I just was commenting, that's surprising to me. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> Sadly, something didn't, you know, didn't populate right in somebody's system and they printed, probably printed out their document, didn't realize a legal description was missing. Um, you know, we, at our office here, we have a whole checklist of everything that must be reviewed on a document before it gets recorded. Um, and so I hope that never happens at our office. But again, we're humans and because we're dealing with the technology and things like we totally can make errors. And I'd, I, nothing I've ever gone through with a title, obviously issue has obviously been malicious or an actual, oh yeah, I meant to do that type of thing. Nobody wants to have to deal with cleaning up or having to fix a mistake. We, we rarely wanna get phone calls um, that we have to be helping because we made an error. Um, and so now the, I think one of the things that I can say um, with regard to making sure you have your owner's title insurance policy is that if for some reason, Robert and Regina Smith, we were trying to track down the previous owners and one of them was deceased or both of them were deceased, that creates a pretty large problem because now we don't have anybody to sign that deed. Mm -hmm. um, so I did have an issue with a client um, who was selling their parents' property, four brothers. 
They were selling their parents' property. They had owned it since 1985. And when um, this was pre-computer days, so this was like typing on a typewriter days, and I can totally see how this happened, but the parents were deeded lot two of a subdivision when they were supposed to be deeded lot 20. They had never put a mortgage on the property since 1985, never done anything, never even knew that the deed that they were issued was wrong. Um, I'm like, oh my word, like this is a first, like this, like that, like that major where it's like eight, 1985, there's no way the people that they bought it from are still alive. And sure enough, they were not alive. Um, somehow, praise the Lord, these uh, children's parents kept really great records and they found their owner's title insurance policy from 1985. Wow. Your title policy does not die. Like I said, it stays, it's, it's still alive. It's still worth that value um, and what it can do for you. Um, even all that time. I think this it was maybe five years ago. So 85, it had been 35 plus years, I think, um, from when the parents had purchased it. And because they found the owner's title insurance policy, because there was a failure in the legal description, we were able to go back to that underwriter who I think it was Stuart title. So they were still in existence. Um, even if they weren't, um, if an underwriter does go under, there's another underwriter that takes over those policies. Oh. Um, so same thing, like if, you know, with your hazard insurance, if an underwriter goes down, somebody is taking over for, and the same with a lender back in the day when all these banks started closing, other banks were kind of taking on those loans and taking over those things. Um, and we were able to get an indemnification letter with undertaking, which is what you would need in a matter like this. So basically the undertaking means that Stuart Title indemnified us to say, hey, you can go ahead and issue new title insurance and we are going to undertake and actually correct this issue. So they had to open probate, track down these people's heirs. I mean, they had to do a whole myriad of stuff behind the scenes, but it still allowed us to close on time because we were able to have access to that owner's policy and then get that indemnification with undertaking from the prior title company. I think that was probably one of my most major issues. And I was just so thankful because I was like, oh my gosh, if these people didn't have an owner's title insurance policy, then they themselves would have had to be do a quiet title suit to clear their title, to give them the proper legal description to be able to sell. So the nugget in that story is keep a, keep your owner's policy in a safe space where you know where it is. Yes. Always keep that just because uh, forever and ever you own this property. This is your insurance policy. I tell people if you don't have access to it and if it's after seven years and that title, what if that title company goes under? What if you don't remember who the underwriter was? What if the title company didn't submit a copy of the policy to their underwriter? You know what I mean? Like you, you need to just in everything else, if you die and your family thought you had a life insurance policy and you can't find it, it doesn't exist, right? Because how are you going to make a claim on a policy that you, you don't have? Right. Um, so it's, it's super, super it important. Be, and it can be tricky because you don't get that policy at closing. So it's not a document that you can have in your closing booklet and, and store it away as soon as you get home. It usually comes, what, 30 days or so after closing? 
It depends on the situation. We at Platinum here do try to issue, we can issue our policies at the closing table, again, because they become effective the date of the recording of the deed and or the date of the recording of the mortgage. Because we are a gap coverage state, we can go ahead and issue. As usually the only time we're not getting those done is maybe towards the end of the month when we're doing so many closings at once, it's really hard to get all of the paperwork done. We do try our best, um, but yeah, you're right. If for some reason that policy can't be issued at the table, it will come out to you in the mail with your original deed. Um, so you're gonna wanna keep a, a copy of that. You can always make a note to make a request, you know, 30 days after closing to say, hey, can you email me a copy of my policy and recorded deed so I can save it electronically. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, we're always willing to provide uh, whatever type of documentation. I know that we usually um, do an electronic uh, version of the copy package for the buyer as well, and we always, provide a copy of the policy to them at that time as well. So just making sure you have good records um, because it, it's it's so important. Like it's not just this piece of paper. Um, you know, we are actually providing insurance. We're not just a closing agent. Um, we are making sure that this property is viable for sale. And I think a lot of people forget the title insurance process of the closing. Um, we're, we, yes, we are here to facilitate and help prepare documents, but first and foremost, we need to make sure we can give you title insurance so that you have a viable, marketable piece of property to sell yourself in the future. Right. And, and two quick points on that. You know, for the majority of people, their home is the largest asset that they mm -hmm. have. So you want mm -hmm. to make sure that it is properly insured. And unlike hazard insurance or auto insurance or other types of insurance, this is a one-time insurance premium that you're paying. You're not having to Correct. pay over the life of your home. So um, you definitely want to make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be. Correct. Okay, so Schedule B Section 2. Um, so Schedule B Section 2 are the exceptions. So these are all the exceptions exceptions to the policy, meaning these are not things that are covered under um, the policy. I will say the first five exceptions are things that are, are automatically deleted because we are going to, of course, at the completion of closing, when we issue the policy, we have we had made sure that all defects, liens, encumbrances, adverse claims, all of those have been taken, taken care of. Number two is just rights or claims of parties and possession not shown by public records. That is taken away because the seller is signing an owner's affidavit, which they must sign at every transaction, that they are the only one in possession. There is no one squatting. There's no lease. There's no nothing that we're not aware of. Now, if there is a lease, of course, there's usually a proration of that on the closing statement. There's an assignment of the lease that is done. Everybody is well aware as to who has possession and who, who has access to the property. Um, so number two can be deleted once that owner's affidavit is signed. Um, number three and number four specifically deal with the survey. And so this is super important. Um, I know uh, I've talked to you, Nicole, about this in the past, just how important a survey is um, so that you can see. Uh, number three says any encroachment, encumbrance, violation, variation, or adverse circumstance affecting the title that would be disclosed by an accurate and complete survey of the land. The term encroachment includes encroachments of existing improvements located on the land onto the adjoining land and encroachments of the land of existing improvements located on the adjoined land. So when you don't have a survey, so let's say you're buying this property and you're paying cash, um, mm -hmm. there is no requirement by like a lender, I'll get to them in a minute, um, that you must have a survey. 
However, if you don't get a survey, then number three and number four will not be deleted from your owner's title insurance policy. So you could be selling the house three to five years later and find out that the neighbor's driveway is actually on your land. And now the person that you're selling the property to, the new buyer gets a survey, you find this out and they want the driveway moved, rightfully so, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Um, so just getting a survey is not an astronomical amount of money. It is a $300 to $400 piece of mind when you buy a home to say, hey, I'm not going to have to deal with my neighbor um, right now. Like, again, people put up fences and they don't always put it on their property line. And that's a whole nother issue. But at least you know that your pool is not encroaching into an easement that now has to get vacated. Or mm. you, you know, bought a house and they didn't get a permit, sadly, and they put an addition onto the property. And now that's in an easement. I mean, it's just, it's such a big deal that. I feel like I only harp on this because I've been doing this for so long. I, I would never buy a house without a survey. Um, right. I want to know every point of interest, especially if I want to put a new fence on the property, if I want to take down a fence, is it on my property? Is it on my neighbor's property? And there's just a lot of things that can eliminate um, neighbor disputes, <laughs> mm -hmm. which no, but everybody wants to be friendly with their neighbor. Um, but there's so much that can be eliminated by having that survey. What what do you think about that, Nicole? Oh, no, I, I agree 100%, you know, and compared, comparatively speaking to home prices, the cost of a survey is just a fraction, like you said, to have that peace of mind. I know right. I was talking with another title agent that a, a pool was built and part of the pool was in the neighbor's yard. And oh my gosh. there got to be adverse um, relations between the parties and, and it became a huge deal when the, the homeowners went to sell. And, you know, you definitely want to make sure. And, and I don't know exactly how that happened. I mean, you would think when you're building a pool that you would have had a survey to know that you are in within the boundaries well, of the property? I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, how is that even possible? The amount of things that you have to do to get a permit, build a survey. I mean, you have to have a survey in order to build a pool. So somebody made a mistake and these poor sellers are now dealing with the adverse effects of that mistake. Yeah, but mis like you said, mistakes do happen from time mm -hmm. to time. And, you know, for me it's and, and you, it's worth the three to $400 for that peace of mind to know that you're not going to have to deal with um, that when you go to sell the property. Correct. And then I do want to mention that um, if you are getting a loan, um, your lender, um, you know, it's always this catch 22 and it's always a little cat and mouse game with us as title companies and lenders. You know, we have to have wonderful relationships, but they will tell you that a survey is not required for the lender. That is technically true. Um, mm -hmm. They do not require a survey. However, they do require an endorsement to be issued to them as a lender as a part of their loan policy. And we as a title insurance company cannot issue that endorsement to the lender without a survey because that endorsement is called a Florida Form 9 endorsement. That's what's issued here in the state of Florida. And that endorsement basically says that that we are we have reviewed and a survey has been done to see the house 
on the land and that there's no major in encroachments or encumbrances that would prohibit the, the lender should they have to foreclose on the property from them having issues with regard to the land and the survey in the future. So I probably something people don't realize and Lord willing they don't because they've never been foreclosed on. But if yeah. you do get foreclosed on and you lose your home, the lender's loan policy actually turns into an owner's title insurance policy for the lender. And this is why they require title insurance as the lender as well. They wanna have that coverage. God forbid there's an issue themselves if they become the owner of the property. Mm -hmm. Which so, they did a lot of in 2009. Yeah, 2008 to 2011 was quite a quite a fun run, right? If you yes. if you live through it, uh, you can pretty much live through anything. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the rest of these um, here, this one looks like I think it was a townhome, if I remember. Um, just my example, I pulled information. It has a ton of restrictions, reservations, setbacks. It has to do with. Um, the HOA. Um, so everything else here, you do want to look at these things. You want to make sure um, that there's nothing on here. I, I, I remember I was at a uh, a company meeting for a real estate office that I, I do business with and the um, broker was talking about a scenario in which uh, the title company had issued the policy, title insurance policy, which is required per the contract. So I think when Nicole first put up um, that contract section nine, if it's a lender transaction, it's the title commitments due 15 days prior to closing. And if it's a cash transaction, it's due five days prior to closing. So super important that the title company that you are working with is helping you meet those contractual guidelines mm -hmm. um, and that everybody has access to those documents as soon as as they're ready because everybody wants to know if there if there is a title issue what is going on how long is it going to take uh, to fix it and if there's not just to have time to review this title commitment um but they had an issue where the buyer had bought the property title uh commitment was issued um you know real estate agents should not be giving any sort of legal advice or really helping them read i know most brokerages have things in their um what are they called agreements what are your the buyers like disclosures? the buyers disclosures yeah that they must you know make sure that they read the title commitment and if they have questions to seek legal advice realtors we're not giving legal advice you can't give legal advice but it is super important to review it but this specific client um in the exceptions to the policy was information about a previous sinkhole because if there is a sinkhole on a property, it must be recorded in the public records and therefore it becomes an exception. We can't give insurance coverage over an issue that should have been remediated and fixed. Mm -hmm. um, this specific buyer, I guess all this stuff was recorded, but yet it hadn't actually finished. And so the county was like finding him like a code violation or something like that. And he just, the buyer sadly, because he didn't read his title commitment, he didn't get the legal advice to make sure he understood what he was doing, um, you know, had to deal with the city and, and get the house fixed and up to standards per code for the city. Um, but it is it was an exception to the policy as it, it's, it should be because it's not something a title insurance company should be responsible for. Uh, we're, we're making sure there's no liens, there's legal description you're buying is correct, things like that, that all previous owners have signed off on the deed, but we don't actually give insurance over like the 
the building of the home, right? Or the structure of the home. And this is why we take exception to everything that has to do with the HOA. Um, and like this one has like about Time Warner that must have been the cable partnership that they did when they created the community, things like that. And so the exceptions are exactly what it means. It's an exception to the policy. So we're issuing this policy, but yet we're not giving you coverage over these items. So the exceptions are just as important as the requirements. Yeah, I know I sold a property that used to be uh, a convent, which was attached to a school and was owned okay. by the Diocese of St. Pete. And maybe 15 years prior to my sale, the diocese had separated the school from the convent. They maintained the convent for a parish building and then the school they sold to um, the YMCA. So when they sold that property off, you know, they divided the lot. And when they were initially built, the plumbing for the convent ran through the school and was then connected to the main, um, main line. Wow. But it was never disconnected when they sold that property off to the YMCA that was determined when the building, when I sold it and prior to close, that was a, a, um, one of the items on the commitment that said, hey, by the way, the, this home, the main plumbing line goes through the school before it's connected and you need to connect to the main plumbing line in yeah. order to get a, a clear title. Because if you have an issue, you got to deal with the school. Like nobody wants to do that. It's like you have partial ownership of your of your pipes <laughs> that, like that would be a nightmare oh my yeah. god well praise the lord it was on the title commitment yeah. and that it was something that was needed to be addressed yeah so that was so you do see some kind of crazy things that you pop do. up on the title commitment yes that's for sure yes well um one other thing that I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but if you are selling your home and you've owned less than three years, that yep. you are eligible for a rebate on the Correct. policy? Correct. So in the state of Florida, because we are such a, um, I want to say conversion state, people are coming and going all the time which is beautiful. This is how we are thriving as um, uh, it, just our own industry, um, but just as a state, people are always coming and going here. Um, so I don't even remember the year. It's been forever. It's been since I started. So it's probably before that, 21 years plus more, um, that if you sell your home within the first three years of your original purchase date, so from the date of the recording of the deed forward, three years, and you have a copy, again, this is the caveat, you have to have a copy of that owner's title insurance policy, you can get a discount on the new premium that usually, it's usually the seller's paying for that. Again, we talked about that locally here, Pinellas, Hillsborough, Pasco, usually it's the seller who picks and pays for the title company, um, then you can get a discount. Now, even if the buyer is picking and paying for the title policy, and the seller selling within three years, the buyer can get that discount as well, as long as we can obtain a copy of that policy, um, which it's within three years, the likelihood of, of that title company, let's say you can't find it, you've already boxed everything up, you've moved to Maine, you have no idea where it's at. Um, it's again, three years, the likelihood of that title company who issued that policy not being open right now in our day and age, it's pretty unlikely. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So to gain a copy of that policy is not difficult. We can always help um, reach out. Sometimes, most of the time we have this requirement, we must have an authorization or the previous owner just acknowledges, yes, I'd love that uh, document released. Please provide it as soon as possible. So that is super important. I mean, you can save a pretty decent amount of money. Again, it's just based off of uh, your prior policy amount and then the new policy amount. So if you are, if you bought a home for 250 and now you're selling it for 500, super great. You got a lot of equity there, but your, your discount won't be as great because you have such, you have a gap, right? In that premium value. But if you, let's say again, it's three years and you bought it for 250 and now it's worth 325 then your your premium discount is going to be a little bit higher because the cost of the two policies are a little bit more a little bit closer together if that makes sense um so yes super important again another reason i always try to explain when we issue the policy at the table to the buyer one keep it in a very very safe place you know where it's at two if you do decide to sell your home in the first three years of um, your ownership you can get a discount but also if you had gotten a loan at the time of closing, or even if you paid cash, if you decide to get a new loan, um, every time you get a new loan, you must provide the lender with a title insurance policy. And so you can get a discount on that loan policy premium because that's just the only policy that needs to be issued. You don't have to buy a new owner's policy because you you already have one, it still exists um, because it's still effective the date of your recording of the deed backwards. then uh, you can get a discount on that new loan policy. So super, so many benefits. First and foremost, of course, having that title insurance policy um, for any issues that could arise. So that is both for purchasing and for refi. Correct. And also vacant land. Um, so if you if you buy a piece of vacant land, it's vacant when you buy it and you sell it and it's still vacant, it can be 20 years and you can get a discount on that owner's policy premium. Now, if you buy a piece of property and you tear down the existing structure and it becomes vacant land, then it's just the three years. Got it. Okay. So, and but there are the, definitely benefits. For the loan, that doesn't include if your lender sells your loan. That would only be if you refund. Yeah. So if your lender sells your loan, nothing's happening really. It's just an internal process where the lender is selling your loan or having somebody else service your loan. It's only when you do a full refinance and you pay off your previous lender and you get a brand new loan and you have all those wonderful closing costs again. <laughs> I'm being funny. Um, but <laughs> but that one of those costs is a new lender title policy. So that always has to be purchased, but you can get it at a discounted rate because you have that title premium that you have that title policy from when you purchased the property. It comes in very handy. Yeah, definitely a great nugget because I know there are a lot of people right now who are buying and maybe a little sensitive to where the rates have gone compared to where they've been over the last year. So if those rates, you know, drop and people refi in the next couple of years, they'll be able to save a little bit of money when they do that. 100%, 100%, 100%, keep that information. One of my loan officer friends, she says right now with the way the market is, you, you, you marry the home, you date the rate because you can always refinance that home and get a lower rate. Yes, you're going to be paying closing costs, but at the end of the day, you will be saving money year over year, buy the home that you want, get in where you can. And then yes, you, you will have some savings. Usually if you go back to the same title, like we give a discount on our closing fee. If you come back to us and you've already closed with us once, 
Um, and then of course you get that reissue credit. That is, that is, that is Florida wide. Um, it is a requirement that the title insurance company lets you know about these discounts. Um, we can get in trouble if we're not helping and assisting and letting them know. Now, of course, I've done refis for people who've owned properties for 25, 30 years. And sadly, they don't have an owner's policy. Um, of course, we are in the business of providing title insurance. So we can actually, at that point of that refinance, provide a new owner's title insurance policy. They don't get the discount now, but they, for a simultaneous rate, again, they're really, they already have to pay for the loan policy. They can get a new owner's title insurance policy. And then what if they sell in three years? Oh, they get a discount. What if they refinance again? They'll get a discount. At least they'll have that document for uh, future benefit at a, at a very low premium. Our simultaneous rate here at Platinum is 225 right now. And so you're, you're getting this additional coverage where you could save even more money in the future um, because maybe you've owned the home for 25, 30 years and you have no idea where your policy is at. So as long as you have that title insurance policy and have proof um, that that policy exists, then we can give you the discount. Very good. Well, thank you very much for walking oh, you're welcome. And listeners and viewers through the importance of title insurance and, and reading a title commitment, hopefully helping people save a little bit of money and um, protect their largest asset. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. If you'd like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes.